Welcome to the 33rd episode of the ClassCast podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tippins. Today, I'd like to take just a few minutes to talk about some of the recent discussions we've been seeing and hearing about reopening schools in the fall. I'm thinking specifically about some of the discussions that I've seen in social media, particularly uh, Facebook groups and Twitter chats, focusing on how schools will or won't reopen in person or online or with a hybrid schedule, blended learning, etc., And so this episode I'm going to call Composure and Compromise, because I think those are the two important things that we all need to consider and engage in right now, and maybe that we aren't doing as often or as as consistently as we should. First, I want to go ahead and say that I'm speaking for myself. Always in this podcast, I think that it's important that people speak for themselves and not try to represent large groups of people. When we try to speak for large groups, we always end up speaking either in generalities or we're being dishonest or ingenuine. My goal here is to be honest about how I'm seeing the reopening issue, both from the side of a teacher and from the sides of parents. I also try to think about these things from an outside perspective. What does this look like to the average taxpayer, to someone in public office, et cetera, et cetera. And so right now I'm going to express my thoughts about reopening and about the tone of the discussions, particularly in Facebook and Twitter chats and groups focused on parents or focused on teachers. Okay, so I think that we're in a very bad place. And I I don't think that too many people would disagree with that. However, I think that people would disagree about where that harm or where those negative tones are coming from. I think the reality is they're coming from everywhere. Okay, Nothing we're doing right now is ideal. We are not in the ideal situation. We cannot simply reopen schools 100% in person and pretend like everything is fine. The reason for that is not because it necessarily endangers the students. Obviously, some students would be in danger and we'd have to make accommodations. However, the reality is that many, many teachers, particularly the older teachers, teachers with health issues, etc., Those are the people that we need to be concerned about with reopening 100% face-to-face full-time school. And when a significant portion of your workforce is over the age of 50 or obese or dealing with heart disease, diabetes, or pulmonary and respiratory issues, then, you know, it's something we have to take into consideration. Public schools exist to serve the community and particularly to serve the youth in the community. That being said, you cannot run a good school if you do not have a good staff. And if a good staff is unable to show up because they are sick or are going to get sick, well, then we have to reconsider how we run schools at least for a little while. I say all this because in ClassCast podcast episode 25, specifically in clip 25.1, I talked about the need for more substitute teachers and for blended learning, whether we're in person on a hybrid schedule, etc. So I understand the desire for in-person schooling, and that is very much where I'd like to be. However, the reality is that we already, in the last five years, really maybe more than that, have not been able to hire and maintain enough substitutes already. It is not uncommon for a high school in Northern Virginia, where I work, for a school to not have substitutes needed on any given day and to be asking other teachers, study hall monitors, security uh, officials, just other people are covering classes or combining classes. That is not an uncommon feature. Now, uh, recognize that most of your substitutes are older. Many of them are retired teachers. Also recognize that the job doesn't pay that great if you think there's a serious threat to your personal health. 
So as much as we might want 100% face-to-face, in-person traditional schooling, the reality is that's not going to happen because even if you attempt it, you're going to end up with so many teachers who fall ill that you're not going to be able to put enough substitutes in. You also have to consider CDC and local health guidance where if somebody is sick in the school, you may have to shut down a classroom. You may have to shut down a class. Potentially, all the students who came in contact with that student are going to stay home for you know two weeks. Uh, we don't have official guidance on how we're going to handle those shutdowns. But my wife works in daycares, and she said repeatedly that if any students in a school test positive, the entire school shuts down for two weeks. Now, if that's going to happen in a public high school, public middle school, elementary school, etc., then the idea of going 100% face-to-face is insane because you know someone's going to get sick. Even in a hybrid schedule where students are only attending school one or two or three days per week, even then we're still going to be dealing with these illnesses and these temporary shutdowns. Everyone needs to be prepared, okay? So let's get to the first point of this talk, composure. I'm going to go ahead and run the risk of just asking people who are feeling anxious, feeling upset, feeling as though they're being somehow cheated, wronged, or otherwise mistreated. I'm going to go ahead and ask everybody to be calm. Now, if you've ever been in an argument at all, especially an argument with your significant other, and you ask the other person to calm down when they were feeling upset, you know the response. They get more upset. So I understand there's a little bit of irony or you know maybe wishful thinking here in saying everybody needs to calm down, but we do. We need to calm down because there are no good options right now. No one gets to do what they want to do or do it how they want to do it without being entirely irresponsible to their local community. So if you want to go out and go to a party, go to a bar, do your thing, that's great. We understand that. However, doing these things at the moment, particularly without appropriate social distancing, masks, hand washing, etc., it puts a lot of people beyond yourself at risk. The way that we've seen other countries, particularly countries in East and Southeast Asia, flatten their curves is through both government shutdowns and enforced quarantines, but also through people just choosing to stay home, people choosing to avoid social settings and large groups and gatherings. You know what we haven't seen in the United States? that. We've seen it in short spurts, but nobody seems to be able to do it for more than a few weeks at a time, which is why we're now seeing spikes all over the country where people are attending parties, going to the beach, students are having COVID parties. We're seeing all kinds of ridiculous behavior, right? None of that is thoughtful. None of that is reasonable, and certainly none of that is calm. The reason being calm and maintaining composure is so important right now is because everyone feels as though they're being treated unjustly. No one deserves the illness. No one deserves a a pandemic. No one wants to be in this situation. But when we look at another person and say that you're making my situation harder than it has to be, you're being selfish, that is almost always going to be the wrong approach because that person is probably doing the best they can. Now, I'm not saying no one's taking advantage of the situation. I'm just saying that if, let's say you're a parent and you're looking at a school plan that involves hybrid learning where your student's only going to attend school two days per week, if the next response is to accuse the school board, the superintendent, the upper administration, the principals, the school, you know, the teachers, anyone, if you're going to accuse them of depriving your child of something they deserve, something they're entitled to, if you're going to accuse people who have spent their entire adult lives working to serve young people in the community of suddenly hating your child, not caring about your child, or taking away opportunities from your child, 
pardon me, but you're probably insane. Now, the reality here is you're not insane. What's happening? You're upset. You see that you're paying tax dollars and now you're not getting the thing you normally get for it. Well, let's walk this back. And if you do listen to the podcast regularly, then you know that in clip 22.2, I talked about how the pandemic is potentially a good thing in the long run because education has needed the opportunity to advance. Public schools need to change. We need to do better. We need to find a new platform and new ways to engage students to provide student opportunity and options, student choice. And this seems like a great opportunity for it. Now, very little of that has happened, right? But for the parents who are getting very, very upset right now and saying, why can't we just get back to normal and do the rest? I understand the concern, but if we're being honest, getting back to normal is not what we want to do anyway. We need to get back to school, sure, but we need to get to something better. And something better is going to include at least some blended learning. It is going to include at least some online learning for at least some students. It is going to include some variability and flexibility for the many different needs and the many different learning styles of the students we're trying to serve. What we should be doing right now is the best we can to ensure the safety of the students and of the staff in the school, while also implementing and experimenting with the new methods that might help students to be better served for the next 100 years. School has had very, very few changes in any meaningful way in terms of platform, structure, schedule. You know, what students are doing in the classroom really has not changed much in 100 years, maybe more than that. And we now have the opportunity to lean harder on the technology, to leverage the new technology and software, and to do something that can better serve our students, our communities, and their futures. But if all we want to do is get back to school as fast as we can because we depend on school for daycare, we're going to squander the opportunity. We're also going to put a lot of teachers' lives or at least their health at risk, okay? So we do need to be cautious and somewhat reasonable here. As a parent, you should not be demanding your tax dollars back if school is online for the next year. Why? Well, hey, because school is, costs money. And even if we're not running the buses, we still need to run many of the programs. Teachers need to be working online. We're going to hire more technical staff for support, even if we're going to lay off bus drivers and other people. Now, I don't support that. I think if we can, we should just continue to pay those people's salaries because we're going to need them back in the future. We already can't hire enough bus drivers. We already can't hire enough nurses. Why? Because we don't pay them enough. These are important jobs that are undervalued and underpaid. And if we're serious about doing better in the future, then we cannot give up on them now. Imagine that you're the parent, and some of you are listening. If you're the parent who says, well, my kid isn't getting to go to school. They're not getting the thing we normally expect. We're not getting what we paid for. I want my tax dollars back. Well, where I work is fairly wealthy community. Okay, the, the high, it's a high income. By median household income, it's the wealthiest county in the country. Now, by total family wealth, we're far, far from it. I work in a place that is very much new money. That being said, there is money. And I'm not suggesting that anyone throw away their money or spend it poorly. However, I recognize that most people are paying three, four, or $5,000 a year in their local property taxes. You know what it's going to cost to put your kid in full-time daycare? It's going to cost ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. And for the the more prestigious and selective preschools, daycares, early elementary facilities in the area, it's going to cost you more than that. You're paying thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year to put your kid in these places. Asking for your two, three, four, five thousand dollars in property taxes back is a drop in the bucket. And you know what it would do? 
It would devalue the teacher's work. It would send people running for other jobs so that in a year when you want to send your kid back to school, you know what you have? You have a lesser school. You have a lesser staff. You have the people who have dedicated themselves to helping children for decades leaving. They're going to retire. They're going to go get another job. You're going to come back to school, and school is going to be a shell of what you thought it was before. I admit, I agree, school can and should be better, but if you want your kid to get back to school as quickly as you can, then you should not be trying to gut it while teachers, principals, superintendents, school boards, etc., etc., are all trying to do the best they can to serve the community during a tough time. We are all in this together. I hate that line. It's cliche. Everybody says we're all in this together. Yeah, well, maybe. It depends on who we are and what community we're in. But when we're talking about parents and teachers and students, we very literally are all in this together. And when you forget that fact, and when you start to see the other side as some kind of enemy, some kind of selfish group who only wants to do what's best for themselves, that is not the right way to approach a public emergency. We need to calm down, maintain composure, look at the data, and say what is best for our students, but also acceptable for our teachers. Now, teachers, hear how I said what's best for students but acceptable for teachers? Some people bristled at that. Some people are really upset that their health, their personal concerns, their daycare issues, etc. aren't taking precedent right now. Let's be honest, schools do not exist to serve teachers. Teachers should be paid more in almost every community in the country. But let's not pretend like we're the most persecuted group in the world or that we're the most underpaid group. I think there's a lot of teachers who I've seen in Facebook groups complaining about how parents are talking about reopening or parents complaining about the idea of having to go back to work or teachers having to complain about going back to work for four or five days a week. I think there's a lot of those people who have been going to grocery stores or ordering delivery and carry out food from people who are making a fraction of what they are, but who are having way more hand-to-hand contact with their customers. If somebody working the cash register at your grocery store can make 8 or $9 an hour and work all the time to serve the community, but you as an educator can't stand six feet away from students and try to teach them something for way more than $9 an hour, then we have a big problem too. One of the things that I want to caution teachers about right here is how we're phrasing our concerns. It is perfectly reasonable to be worried, to be afraid, to to be concerned about your own health and well-being. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. I have no problem with the teacher being a little bit afraid or a little bit worried. I understand that. But I also want teachers to remember that if our goal is to teach critical thinking, then we ourselves need to engage in critical thinking. Look at the data. Most of the people who are dying are very, very old. They're not in the classroom. Most of the people who are being hospitalized have serious and pre-diagnosed pre-existing conditions. I'm not saying that no one else is going to get sick, that no one else is going to the hospital. I'm not saying that we should be cavalier about this or that we shouldn't be cautious. No, 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 no. I take this very seriously. I recognize that we all need to be careful and that maybe rushing back into the classroom isn't the best thing to do. But I also think that we as teachers are hurting ourselves severely by making public social media posts about how our health is the biggest concern or about what are we going to do with our children if they can't go to school. You know what everyone else in the community is worried about? Their health and their children. 
Okay, when teachers start talking about, well, what am I supposed to do if I have to be in school five days a week and my kid only goes two? What do you think everyone else in the community is talking about? I have to go to five (laughs) to work five days a week and my kid only goes for two. Okay, it's a fair concern and we should all share it, but we shouldn't ask like somehow teachers are above it or we're better than it or we shouldn't be subjected to it. Teachers are members of the community. We must remember that we fit into the community. We don't reside over it. Okay, so if the parents in your school are experiencing a, a new stress with childcare issues, with the costs, with, with the education format, then it's reasonable that teachers who live in that community should share some of the burden. I'm not saying that we can't do something creative to provide better daycare or childcare through schools or for certain people in the community. I think we should be creative, and I think it's okay to do something a little bit different. I'm just saying that if you're a teacher and you're making multiple public posts about how your kids need to go to daycare, what are you going to do? How are you going to afford this on a two-teacher income? Yeah, I mean, depending on where you live, a two-teacher income really isn't so bad. Where I work, a two-teacher income puts you at or over the median salary in the county, the median household income in the county. And by those metrics, it's the wealthiest county in the country. I'm not saying you're rich. I'm just saying you could afford it if you have to. And we all have to be willing to give a little bit if we want to get through this pandemic with the least life lost. Okay, I'm not saying that we need to be in school or not be in school. I'm just saying that teachers' daycare issues are no different than anyone else in the community, so we shouldn't talk about them like somehow they're different or special. Okay, the other thing is that teachers have dedicated their lives to serving the young people in their community. So if you're making posts right now about your concerns about your health, your concerns about the layout of the day, how difficult something will be, how much time it will take, how much it will cost. You know what your job is? Your job is to teach. Your job is to educate children. I know a lot of teachers who spent a lot of time this spring saying that distance learning was not working for their kids. It wasn't working for them. My students aren't engaged. They're not learning as much as they could. They're not learning as much as they should be. I'm worried that they're going to slide. I'm worried that they're going to regress. I'm worried that they're not getting the social interaction they need or the support from a teacher. They need to see the counselor. They need to blah, blah, blah. I know dozens and dozens and dozens of teachers personally who had those concerns who are now saying we can't possibly go back to school. Well, if you are serious about the idea that what we were doing online wasn't working and could not work, and now you're going to advocate against going back to school, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like students' education is not your top priority. And if education is not your top priority as a teacher, then guess what? Those parents have every right to be upset with you. Now, I'm not saying that it's it's unreasonable to be afraid to go back to work. I'm not saying that we should all rush back in. We do need to be cautious. We do need to be creative. And we do need to do something different with our scheduling, with our cleaning, with our masks, with all of these things. I'm not proposing a specific solution. My goal here is to remind people that we need to maintain composure. If you're a teacher and you read a social media post where a parent is upset that they're going to have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to put their children into private daycare while their kids are only getting you know, a certain number of hours of online or in-person instruction a week, it is important as a teacher to take a deep breath to say, I understand your concerns and to say, I wish we could do better, but here's the best I think we can do. However, when you look at the parent and tell that parent that you're selfish, you're ignorant, you're stupid, you're not looking at the data, you know what you're not doing? You're not being a critical thinker. You're also not being empathetic. You know what we want our students to be? 
critical thinkers who are empathetic. We need to understand that people are struggling, and we as teachers should be acting as community leaders and community servants. We need to set the tone for this discussion, and when you see parents getting upset, it would be great if we could remind them of what's really happening here and help them to regain their composure, to look reasonably at the data, rather than to belittle and demean them. And I'm seeing a lot of this on social media. It's very, very upsetting. It's upsetting that parents are talking about how teachers, school board members, principals, etc., are the most dishonest people in the community. They don't care about the kids. They just want to do what's best for themselves. Meanwhile, the parents are doing everything they can to lobby the school board to reopen schools and send them back. If you really think that these people are the most dishonest, untrustworthy, selfish people in the community, why do you want your kids spending 35 to 40 hours there a week? That's insane. Like, we all know that's not true, but we're saying it because we're upset. And we're upset because we are not taking a deep breath, stepping back, and looking at all of the bad choices we have and trying to make the best of those bad situations. This is a serious problem. Now, the other point of this talk is to address the idea of compromise talked a lot about composure from both sides, and I'm not sure if I've done it well. I apologize if I've rambled, but people are upset, and being upset is reasonable. But when people are so upset that they can't have a thoughtful, reasonable dialogue, then everybody loses, okay? And so what we need to think now is about how to compromise, because there are no good options. The best option for teachers is not the best option for parents. The best option for parents isn't the best for teachers. And let's be honest, what's best for teachers and what's best for parents doesn't really matter because our job is to do what's best for students. And what's best for students might not be best for either of those other groups. I don't think we're ever going to achieve a perfect balance of those things, but we're certainly not going to do it during a pandemic where we have hundreds of people, thousands of people getting sick, hundreds of people going to hospitals, and locally we have, I think we're around 100 people who have died, and that number is surely going to rise as the infection rate increases, as social distancing decreases, and businesses reopen. So we need to think about the idea of compromise. Compromise has become increasingly difficult in American society in the last few decades, not that it's ever been easy, but because compromise is viewed as defeat. When we compromise, we have to accept that we didn't get what we want. We're going to be unhappy. Somehow the idea of compromise, and I teach this in my class, we actually have a lesson on the idea of compromise, and somehow compromise has turned into this idea that everybody's going to be a little bit happy. That's ideal. That would be great. You know what the reality is? Compromise is about doing something better in the future than what you did in the past and making everyone equally unhappy in the process. Compromise is not about how happy can you be. Compromise is about how much better can things get while making you the least unhappy possible. So as long as we continue to look at the idea of compromise in terms of what do I get, what do they get, what do I get, what do they get, how happy am I, we'll never compromise because we're always going to feel unhappy when we had to give up what we really wanted. When we have to compromise, it means you don't get exactly what you want. And as a result, you're probably going to feel a little unhappy. Well, guess what? Compromise is about making the other side approximately equally unhappy, but still having an end result that was better than what you had before. So you know what we need? We need compromise. We need parents, teachers, we need school board members, upper administrators, we need taxpayers, nurses, doctors. We need all these people to come together and come to some compromise about what they think is best for themselves and best for the broader community. And that needs to be one part of the discussion. That's 50%. Now, some of you are saying, what do you mean? That's everybody who's involved. Lie. Then the other 50% is get together together 
get together a group of students. How many students have been asked about what they want for school in the fall? How many students have been surveyed and polled? We have sent out hundreds. We have sent out thousands of surveys to parents, to taxpayers, to teachers, to everyone in the community except students, the people who this is all about. So my suggestion for compromise is that we get all of the adults together, we get all the information we can, and then we hash out what we think is a reasonable compromise to address concerns about childcare and the cost of it, what we think about education and students' ability to read, write, and do math. We need to look at what's best for public health, what's best for teachers' health, what is best for the long-term health of our public schools. We can't defund for one year and expect to bounce back. We need to do all of those adult decisions. And then we need to gather a group of students who are intelligent, who have access to the data, who can consider all of the angles that students might be experiencing. We need a representative sample of students in the community, and then the students and the adults need to come to that compromise. The adults are doing a very, very bad job of finding middle ground that is functional, but you know what? If that wasn't going to be the end result, if the parents, the the teachers, etc., thought that they were only going to be half of it, you know what we'd be quicker to do? We'd be quicker to find a compromise because we don't know what kids are going to say. So you know what would be best for everyone involved? We need to have the adult conversation first, let students have their conversation second, and then compromise between the adults and the students on what would be best for returning to school in the fall. As long as we pretend that this is somehow a battle between parents and teachers, everyone loses, especially the students. The two groups of people who care most about young people in your community are parents and teachers. Pediatricians and police officers might come close after, but the two groups who care most, but the two groups who care most are parents and teachers. And the way the discussion is going right now, those groups are starting to view each other as enemies or at least as idiots. And that is not productive because in the end, if the two groups who care most about students cannot come to some reasonable compromise to maintain some composure, then what's going to happen is the students are going to lose. So my suggestion, we all need to take a deep breath, look at the data, consider the other group's concerns, and then come to some compromise about what will work well enough for everyone involved. We're all going to feel the pinch. Then go talk to the students and ask what they want and find some middle ground between what students want and adults have compromised on. That's how we need to move forward. We need everyone to be involved, and that means we cannot ignore students. Please, take a deep breath. Remember that teachers are your friends, that the parents of your students are your friends, that we are all trying to do the best we can, and that we cannot do anything well if we don't try to do it together. This has been the 33rd episode of the ClassCast podcast. Please make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, etc. wherever you're listening to this podcast. Make sure you also share, retweet, etc. to get the word out. I understand that I've said some things here that may seem controversial or may seem condescending to some of the people listening. That is certainly not my intent. I'm trying to promote more thoughtful discourse, more critical thinking, and something, an end result that will somehow be better for our students. If you disagree with anything I've said, or you agree but think we could say it even better, I would love that input. I would love to talk to someone who feels like they can say what I've just tried to say better, or someone who thinks they have a plan that's going to work better than what we've already been hearing from local leadership. Okay, So please give it some thought. Do your best to maintain composure. Remember who is fighting for the students 
and keep working with those people, even if sometimes that seems difficult, we need to compromise. And that means that you take a little bit of a loss for a long-term gain. Thank you. Good luck. Godspeed.